0: Our text for today will be Matthew chapter 1, so if you would like to follow along with us, let's go ahead and read our text for the day. It will be Matthew chapter 1, and I'm going to read the whole chapter, and there's a lot of names here, so uh, yeah, stay with me. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, says, An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers, Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Aram, Aram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab, Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife, Solomon fathered Rehoboam, Rehoboam fathered Abijah, Abijah fathered Asa, Asa fathered Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat fathered Joram, Joram fathered Uzziah, Uzziah fathered Jotham, Jotham fathered Ahaz, Ahaz fathered Hezekiah, Hezekiah fathered Manasseh, Manasseh fathered Amon, Amon fathered Josiah, and Josiah fathered Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Shealtiel, Shealtiel fathered Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel fathered Abiad, Abiad fathered Eliakim. Eliakim fathered Azor, Azor fathered Zadok, Zadok fathered Achim, Achim fathered Eliad, Eliad fathered Eleazar, Eleazar fa- fathered Methan, Methan fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Christ. So all all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the exile to Babylon until the Christ, 14 generations. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, "'Joseph, son of David,' Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son and named him Jesus. Thank God for his word. You may be seated. Well, I'm going to go ahead and light these candles, but uh, I'm not going to read anything while I do it. And there's a reason these weren't lit beforehand. It's not because we forgot. Um, It's because we just had a bunch of kids up here. And uh, I thought that was a bad idea, to light a bunch of candles with kids running around them. So today is our final Sunday of Advent, so it's always good to be here, but uh, it's especially good whenever we can get together and we can celebrate Christmas together. Um, But before I dive into this text, I think first we ought to pray, so let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I'm so thankful that we can gather together um, every Sunday, but Lord, especially this time of year where we celebrate the coming of our Savior. Um, Lord, what an awesome time that we can look forward to the coming of Christ, both in Bethlehem and the, the final return that we look forward to, the day when Jesus comes in and, and we see the culmination of his final victory. So, Lord, we, we look forward to that day with anticipation, with hope and with joy and with peace, knowing that those of us who belong to you, there is nothing but joy and good things to look forward to. So, Lord, we, we look forward with anticipation to the coming of our Savior. Um, Lord, we thank you that we have a reason to celebrate this Christmas season because it's all, all your work. So, Lord, we praise you. I, I ask that today, as we look at the pages of Matthew, as we look at this, this work that was written 2,000 years ago, God, I pray that you would guide our hearts, that you would guide our minds, that you would direct us, that we might know you more as a result of our time together today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <sighs> Y'all, it's good to be back with you. Um, Some of you are like, what do you mean back with us? Well, for those of you who didn't know, there was a better looking guy up here last week. Um, It was not me. Um, Steve did a fantastic job. And I would like to just stop for a moment and and just just give Steve a round of applause because Steve did an awesome job last week. So... For those of you who didn't turn around to look to see where he's at, he was hiding behind his computer screen. Um, He's—we've uh, we, had this discussion, and he's far more comfortable being back there than being up in front of people. So um, I'm very thankful, though, for his willingness to step up and do all of that. Because, y'all, last week I was planning on talking about just the genealogy of Jesus from Matthew here, um, and then. After Sunday two weeks ago, um, I uh, started developing some symptoms of COVID and wound up testing positive, so we've been laying low for a couple weeks. Um, and after everything traveled through our house, um, I think we are on the mend and we're glad to be back out in, out, out in public because um, it was weird just staying home for two weeks. So anyway, it's good to be back out amongst y'all, um, especially you all because you know y'all are awesome. Um, which is actually why I'm telling you about our medical history. It's not because I just want to share that with everybody. It's because um, we have we have truly felt um, uh, loved over the last two weeks. I don't know how many phone calls, how many text messages, how many people dropping random stuff on our porch. Um, I don't know how many times we just had people tell us, we love you, we miss you, we're praying for you, um, we care about you. So, Y'all, I just want to take a moment, and I want to say thank you to you all, because y'all are, you're, you're fantastic. Um, so I'm going to ask you to do something weird. I want you to give yourselves a round of applause. So can you do that, please? Yeah. Um, yeah, y- y'all, y'all are great, and I'm, I'll tell you what, we've been here for about, well, we've been here for just over two years now here at Christian Fellowship, and whenever we first started our time up here. Some of you know the story. I've probably shared it too many times, but uh, we kind of went back and forth and we weren't real sure what we were going to do long term. We weren't sure if we were going to stay where we were at or if we were going to make the move to to Mound City. Um, And we wrestled with that for quite some time. And uh, honestly, it was a little scary whenever we finally decided to make the change, but we have had no regrets. And just weeks like the last two weeks where we felt so loved and know that our church family is there for us and with us um, I, we made the right decision, y'all. I'm so thankful for where God's placed us. And now I'm done gushing on you and we'll move on. Okay. Everybody good with that? All right, good. I love you all. And I'm very thankful for you all. So thank you for everything over the last few weeks. Um, and really over the last couple of years. So, whew, y'all, I'm tired already. All right. Well, the good news is we get two sections, since I was going to talk about just the genealogy a couple weeks ago, that means I don't have enough time to cover it in depth today, um, so I would encourage you all, go and look at this genealogy, there's so much there to pull out and to see, and, and just, to, just to really look and see the names that are listed there, and why they're significant, and there's so much there, so I'd encourage you to do all that, but uh, we're going to try to cover all of chapter one today. But before we dive into this text, um, one of the things I- I've thought has, is really interesting in our culture is is this obsession with origin stories. Um, you all know, if you watch any superhero movies or anything like that, um, you see that there's always some backstory about how this person became who they are, right? Right? Um, just basically any superhero you can name, there's an origin story movie that's been made about it, right? Um, so you start thinking about any of them, like Batman, okay? just Let's just use Batman as an example. I know he's not technically a superhero because he didn't have superpowers, but um, I always joke that Batman's superpower was that he's filthy rich. Um, anyway, so Batman, Batman's origin story, there's a whole movie that was made about it, right? There's this movie called The Dark Knight Rises. Well, here it is. It's Batman's origin story. How did he become the Batman. Or you think about people like Spider-Man. There's like 13 different stories about how Spider-Man became Spider-Man, all of them having to do with a radioactive spider. Or you start thinking about X-Men. There's all these movies made about this X-Men and this X-Men and how they became who they are, like Wolverine, right? There's a movie made about how he became who he is. And that's just the good guys, okay? Lately, there's this trend that's been going on that's been following these villains and how they became who they were. Right? You go back and you can watch all of these things, all of these movies about how these people, how these villains became who they are. I mean, and by the way, I haven't seen most of these because that premise really just kind of irritates me, and that's a whole other thing. But uh, I hate how we're glorifying, our culture's glorifying the villains. Um, it drives me nuts. But that's a whole side thing that I'm not going to get into today. But there's movies out there like The Joker, like how did the Joker become the Joker, right? He's a villain. Why do I care? He's a bad guy. I don't want to I don't want to know. But anyway, there's a whole movie that's about how the Joker became the Joker. Or there's since I talked about X-Men, there's a movie called X-Men First Class that shows how the X-Men became the X-Men, including the villains. How they became who they were. Or there's a movie called Maleficent. Anybody ever heard of that movie? Isn't that about how the wicked like the wicked stepmother became the wicked stepmother? I don't know, I've never seen it, so I'm guessing right now. Anybody? Y'all awake? That's, my favorite. That's it. Wow, my goodness. <laughs> Leanne, you're killing me. You uh, I have not seen that one, but we'll see. Maybe. Um, I wouldn't bet on it, though. Anyway, um, or there's another one more recently, Cruella, right? It's all about... Now, who wants to know how Cruella became Cruella? Cruella's crazy. She's out there trying to find all these puppies so she can skin them and turn them into a coat, right? And now there's a movie about how she became who she was. Like, again, I haven't seen it, so maybe I shouldn't be judging the movie, but there's this obsession with origin stories. How did these people become who they are? How did we get here? Like, we want to know about all of these origin stories, which made me think of one of my favorite origin stories ever, okay? And this one's one of my favorites, and some of you, this is going to absolutely ruin Christmas for you, so I apologize. Um, some of you are like, how are you going to ruin Christmas? Oh, yeah, this is good. How many of you know the origin story of St. Nicholas? Some of you know the origin stories of Santa Claus, uh huh. Some of you do. Okay, this one is one of my favorites. Oh, it's so good. Oh, some of you know, some of you don't. So, how did Santa Claus become Santa Claus? How did Saint Nicholas become Saint Nicholas? How did he become this world-renowned figure that everybody knows about? The jolly old, can I say, can I say, fat man? Um, got the bowl full of jelly, right? I shouldn't use that word. It's not a very nice word. But this big guy who's got the big white beard, takes toys to people all over the world. How did, how did this happen? Like, how did this guy come about? Well, this is one of my favorite stories. Um, the legend goes that it was at the Council of Nicaea where the church fathers from all over the known world were called together for this council. Okay, so there's about 300 men who gather and they come together to hear this man Arius. This man, Arius, because he has an opinion about the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, some of you know what the doctrine of the Trinity is. We serve, we, we know, and we love one God who fully exists perfectly for all eternity in three persons, okay? You got the Father, you got the Son, you got the Spirit. That's about the simplest way I can throw out the doctrine of the Trinity, and we're not going to elaborate much more than that. So, Arius, however, was challenging that doctrine, Arius was saying that Jesus, the Son, was not fully divine. Instead, he was of another kind of divinity. He was a created being and had his divinity conferred upon him at a later time. So he was arguing that Jesus was not divine in the same sense that the Father is divine. So the council assembled to hear Arius out. So it started out with Arius having somebody reading something he had written. So they stand up and they start reading what Arius had written. And after a time, then, Arius comes in to more clearly elaborate on his position. So Arius stands up, and he starts out by reading. And, and at least at the start, everybody listens attentively. And they're being respectful of Arius' opinions. But as Arius gets further and further from the traditional doctrine of the Trinity, the crowd begins to get agitated. And people start talking a little more. And now they're yelling. And now there's a problem. And this man named Nicholas... This man named Nicholas gets up and calmly walks across to where Arius is standing, reaches back, and slaps Arius across the face. The legend says that he slapped Arius so hard that Arius would have fallen to the ground had there not been two men to catch him. Okay. Now, the moral of this story is that if you would like to become a world-renowned figure that children love universally, well, what you do is you go out and you slap a heretic. Um, So... Take that for what you want. Arius was then taken into Arius. Nicholas was taken into custody where he spent the night, and there's rumors of visions and other things that happened at that point. But the point is, how does St. Nicholas become Saint Nicholas? Well, he slapped a heretic. Um, it's one of my favorite stories, uh, favorite origin stories. Oh, it's so good. And now we celebrate him as this jolly old man with rosy cheeks and a big beard, right? Uh-huh. All because he slapped a heretic. Okay. So. One of my favorite origin stories. But there's one better. There's one better. You all know the origin story of Jesus? I hope so, because we just read it a few minutes ago. We just had kids come up here on the platform and reenact it just a little bit ago. Um, This is arguably the greatest origin story ever told. A Savior who came, who came. And that's what I want us to look at today. But if we're going to look at this, and we're truly going to understand this, then we have to understand who Matthew was writing to and what he was thinking as he wrote it. Okay, see Matthew, Matthew wrote primarily to a Jewish audience, primarily to a Jewish audience. Now he concluded some things that were there for a Gentile audience, but it was primarily written to a Jewish audience. So as we look at Matthew 1 today, I just want you to do me a favor and I want you to try your best, try your best to imagine that you are a first century Jewish man or woman. Okay, first century Jewish man or woman. Because until we understand what they were thinking, until we understand how they would have heard this, we're not going to fully understand the beauty of Matthew chapter 1. So, I want you to do me a favor and just try your best to pretend that the only way that you know of Jesus isn't through the lights and the trees and all the gifts that are being given. Instead, the only way that you know of Jesus is through the stories you've heard from people around you. You just hear these stories about this man, this man from Galilee who came, this man from Nazareth who came and, and, and just loved people. You hear about this man who did these amazing things and healed people, who walked on water. You hear all of these stories, and you're not really sure what to think about this man. What you do know is he had these followers that were really close to him, and one of them has written to you. Okay, His name was Matthew. He was a tax collector, and he wrote this account of who Jesus was. Because whenever we put ourselves into that position, whenever we start thinking like a first-century Jewish man or woman... We start to understand just why these claims are so significant. Why what Matthew is writing is so powerful. So I want you to see these claims that, that Matthew is making. I want you to see these claims that Matthew is making as he writes this first chapter of his gospel. Okay, So the first claim that he makes is that Jesus Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king. The promised king. Again, remember, if you're a first century Jewish man or woman, you hear this language and it's going to catch your attention. It's going to catch your attention because as as Matthew opens his gospel, he he says that this is an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And then you notice who he says he's the son of. The son of David? The son of David. And you're a first century Jewish man or woman. This is going to catch your attention. You're talking about the son of David here. So put yourself in this position where you hear this because you know the history of the Jewish people, right? You're a Jewish person. You know your history. It's very important to you. So you hear this, and you know the history you have of, of oppression and your, your ancestors being deported to another land only to come back when they, they come back to Jerusalem. And now they're sitting here, and they just can't seem to get anything going. Their temple's destroyed. Their walls are laying in ruins. And you know the stories of how these men and women, they came back to repopulate Jerusalem, to build up the temple, to build up the walls. At least I hope you know that story, because we just spent a couple months looking at Nehemiah. So I hope you're familiar with that. Um, but now you know all of the stories, all of these stories about prophets and prophets and kings in your past. And now, now you're sitting here, and there's been about 400 years of prophetic silence. And here's this guy named Matthew saying, "Hey, I've got an account of the genealogy of this guy named Jesus. He's the son of David." Y'all, they would have been saying, "Wait, wait, the son of who? The son of the son of David?" Y'all, this is a big claim. And even now, these first century Jewish men and women, they are sitting here under Roman authority, being oppressed still, waiting and waiting for this king that has been promised. And here comes Matthew saying, here's an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. And you know who David is. Oh, you know who David is. See, you know what the word says regarding David and his ancestors. You or you know what it says in, for example 2nd Samuel 7:16 where it says your house and kingdom will endure before me forever and your throne will be established forever. You know the promises that were given to David. You know the words that were given through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 11, 1, where it says that then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse and a branch from the root from his roots will bear fruit. You know about this shoot that's supposed to come from the the stump of Jesse, right? As a Jewish man or woman, you know who David is, you know who Jesse is, you know who these people are. And here's this guy named Matthew saying, Hey, here's an account of the genealogy of Jesus, and he's the son of David. The son of David. Matthew, in no uncertain terms, is declaring that the long awaited king has arrived. The king that you've been waiting for, the son of David, the one in his lineage, here he is. And what we're going to see over the coming weeks and the coming months is that the arrival of this king, it sparks a discussion to the kingdom. And we're going to see that hopefully over the coming weeks and months, but we see that Jesus is the king. Now, this may not have looked exactly like these first century Jewish men or women were thinking, but good news is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all wrote an account of it, so they have some help. But, They know that the son of David means that the king has come. And Matthew is claiming that Jesus is that promised king. That's the first claim he makes. second claim he makes, though, is even more extreme. He says that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Not only is Jesus the promised king, he's the promised Messiah. Because if you look at this genealogy, Matthew isn't just content saying, Well, Jesus is the son of David. Okay, let's move on. That's good enough, right? No, no, he says he's the son of David, the son of Abraham, Right? So now he's drawing a connection also to Abraham. Verse 1 says very clearly, son of Abraham. And then there are these 32 generations named over the first 16 verses of Matthew. And all of this leads to verse 16 where we find that Jacob, fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. The Messiah. Okay. The word here, Messiah, at least in most of our, most of our modern translations, it, it's translated Messiah. A few of them, if you read from a King James or ESV, I think it probably says the Christ. Um, either way, the Greek word here is Christos. Christos. Okay? Now, this, this, word, this word is an important one. This word Christos means the anointed one, the Messiah, or the Christ. And it comes from a root word that means to anoint with oil. To anoint with oil. So as you're hearing this, as you're hearing what Matthew wrote, as a first century Jewish man or woman, as soon as you hear the anointed one, you start thinking about a king who would have been anointed with oil. You would have thought, oh, well, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the anointed with oil, and you would have tied it to 1 Samuel 16, where Samuel, Samuel was sent to find the king that would replace Saul. Saul had been king, but he displeased God. As a matter of fact, I think the text says that God regretted that he had ever made him king. So, Samuel was sent to replace Saul, find the next king. And whenever he gets to Jesse, he says, okay, where are your sons? And son after son comes forward. Samuel says, no, that's not the one. Don't you have any other sons? They say, yeah, I've got one more. He's out in the field watching the sheep because he's a shepherd. (laughs) So finally, they call for David, the youngest. And verse 12 of 1 Samuel 16, it says, Then the Lord said, Anoint him, for he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. So as they hear this, that the Messiah, that the Christos, the, the chosen one, the anointed one has come, they would have instantly had these visions of David being anointed as their king. And they're hearing the anointed one, Jesus, who is called the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah. And see, this was bigger than just a king, though. This, is, this meant that the one that the people had been waiting for, he was here. The Messiah has now arrived. This is the one that God spoke of in the garden. Clear back in the garden of Eden. Clear back in the garden of Eden. Now, you, you all know the story of what happened in Eden, right? You all awake enough to remember that? Some of you? Some of you aren't? Okay. Uh, that's okay. I'm glad you're listening, buddy. Yeah. Uh, I love you guys. What am I going to do with you? Okay. So, so this would have brought back visions clear back to the garden. The one that was promised, the one that we know of from Genesis 3.15 as God curses the serpent, right? Genesis 3.15 where it says, where God says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head but he, and you will strike his heel. This is the one, and a lot of the translations, by the way, say say he will crush your head. He will crush the serpent's head. And here we have this one, the anointed one, who would come to crush the serpent. The one that would crush the evil one, win victory over sin and death and hell. And that is what Matthew is saying Jesus has come to do. The anointed one is here. The anointed one, the chosen one, the Christ, the Messiah, has come. Matthew is writing about the one that was promised to Abraham when God said in Genesis 12, 3, He says, I will bless those who bless you, I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Y'all, that is good news that this Messiah has come because you know who's a part of those peoples that need to be blessed? Me and you. Y'all know that we're blessed because Jesus came? We are blessed because the Messiah, the Chosen One, has shown up? Because without him, we don't have much hope. Jesus came, and as Matthew is declaring that the Messiah is here, he's saying the one that's going to bless the nations has shown up. By the way, he's this Jesus. There is no doubt that these people, as they hear that he's the Christ, they know that this is the wonderful counselor that Isaiah wrote of. This is the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is the anointed one, the chosen one, the one who brings the long-awaited hope, this Jesus who is called the Messiah. Y'all, we hear this, we read these words every Christmas and we think, okay, yeah, we read it kind of like this. We say, okay, Mary gave birth to Jesus who's called the Messiah, right? And then we start going all Ricky Bobby and we start thinking about the sweet seven pound eight ounce baby Jesus laying in the manger. (laughs) Y'all, that's what we think of. Don't make a mistake. Matthew, as he writes this, is saying this is far bigger than a baby. This is our Messiah. This is our living hope. This is the Christ who has come. Y'all, these are powerful, powerful words. Jesus is the promised king and he is the promised Messiah. He's the anointed one. Third thing I want us to see today is that Matthew is showing that Jesus is coming as a man. Jesus has come as a man. He's claiming that God has taken on flesh. Notice, though, that Jesus, he he doesn't come thundering down from heaven, riding on a cloud and throwing lightning bolts all over the place, does he? That's not the way it happens. Or it's not some mystical appearance where all of a sudden there's this vapor that shows up and he turns into a man. That's not how it takes place either, is it? No, we know that Jesus shows up. In verse 18 it says, The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way after his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph. It was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. See, what we need to understand is that Matthew is saying, look, Jesus was born of a woman. You know what that means? He's a man. Jesus came as a man. There would have been all sorts of legends, especially in the first century, about, about God's coming down to earth. But boy, they never did it like Jesus did. They would show up with all this power. They would show up, and they were full-grown men. That's not the way Jesus came. Jesus came humbly, humbly and quietly. And sometimes I think we overlook much of this because it's just so familiar, right? We know the story of how Jesus came, and we just kind of gloss over it. And it's this sweet thing that makes us feel good, which I wanted to make you feel good. Don't misunderstand. It should make you feel good if you know Christ. But we think about these things, and we're like, yeah, okay, so Jesus came. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Yeah, we know the story. Let's move on. Matthew is writing that God took on flesh, was born of a virgin here. And I also want us to look at, look at his father because Joseph is he's an important figure here. And we could we could spend time talking about Mary also, but I think we did that last year. So we're going to look at Joseph a little bit this year. Um, sometimes I think, again, we gloss over this, but Mary and Joseph, they were betrothed, so they were engaged to be married. Now, this isn't like, this. I'm sorry, I'm going to call them out again. This isn't like James and Anna being engaged. It's a little bit different than that, okay? So you're the only engaged couple I know of in the room off the top of my head. So congrats, you're a part of the sermon today. Um, so anyway, <clears throat> I'm like, no texting during church, James. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, he's texting me, so it counts. Um, Anyway, so where was I? I don't even know what I was talking about now. Engagement, that's what I was talking about. Y'all, can I blame this on COVID brain still? Is that okay? Do I get a pass this week? All right, good. I love you guys. You're awesome. So anyway, um, so we think about engagement and we think, well, there was an exchange of a ring. There was a promise that was made that, okay, so they're engaged, right? But this was different. And most of us, us, I think, have some idea that this was different, but we don't exactly know how maybe. But in marriage at this time, there were basically three steps. There was basically three steps, okay? The first step was that the families would make an agreement that the that the man and the woman they would be married. And this was typically made through by the fathers and they would they would exchange a dowry, so they would basically pay to say, "Okay, now she's going to become my son's wife." And that's how this would all work, okay? So, that would be the exchange that was made. There was the agreement. But there would become a time, there would come a time where they would be betrothed to one another. And these two they, that were at that point, they were legally married. And it lasted about a year, but they were not to come together as husband and wife at this point during this betrothal. So legally they were married, but they had not come together as husband and wife as we know husband and wife. Okay? Which means that the only way to break off this betrothal was through a divorce. Through a legal proceeding where they would break off this engagement through a divorce. Okay? This was a little bigger than our engagement today. Today we hear about people breaking off engagements and they return the ring and everything's done, right? No, no, no. no. This is not that kind of an engagement. This was a betrothal where there would have had to have been legal proceedings to have them divorced. Okay? And after the betrothal period, the couple would then have a wedding and they would be officially married, man and wife. Mary and Joseph at this point, they are betrothed to one another. They are, for all intents and purposes, married they just have not come together yet. And it's during this time where they're betrothed to one another that Mary is found to be pregnant. Uh oh, that's a problem. Not just a little problem, because that means that Mary would be set up for public disgrace or even worse, potentially being killed. And I'm not going to go in and read Deuteronomy 22 because there is some pretty graphic content in Deuteronomy 22, but if you go back and you read that chapter, you'll find that if she was found to be pregnant, that means that she was no longer a virgin, which, I mean, I don't know if you guys know how pregnancy works, but um, yeah, she was no longer a virgin, which means that she would have been taken to her father's house and she could have been stoned to death at his door. That sounds like a problem. The good news is, her husband, the man that she was betrothed to, the Bible says, was a righteous man who didn't want her to be publicly disgraced. So he decided he was going to divorce her because what choice did he feel like he had at this point? But he wanted to do it quietly to, shave her, to save her the shame and the guilt that was coming her way. And the reason I bring this up is because as Jesus is coming as a man... We learn something of the man that God, in his sovereignty, chose to have bring up his son. To bring up his son, the son of God. Who's going to raise this child? Who's going to be a father figure to him? And we find that it's Joseph. And what we know of Joseph is that he's not a wealthy man. So that can't be why God chose him. God could have chosen any king in any palace in the world. But instead, he chose this poor carpenter. He also could have chosen somebody who could have given Jesus a better education, right? Instead, he chooses Joseph. Was it because he was able to best educate Jesus? No. No, it wasn't. He could have gone through any list of criteria that you and I would have looked at and said, okay, who is this this Joseph? Why would he choose Joseph? We could look at just about any criteria we want, and we're not going to see one. The one thing it does say about Joseph, he was a righteous man. He was a righteous man. You know what that means? It means that he followed his God. He served his God. He loved his God. And he tried his best to do what was right by his God. And we see that play out in the text. This man, Joseph, he does what he can to do right by Mary, even as he was planning to divorce her. He said, we're going to do it quietly to save her the shame. This is the man that God chose to raise his son. And what we need to understand is that this Jesus, he was somebody who would need a father. He would need a father, wouldn't he? He was a boy. He was a, he was a child who would need a father to show him how to be a man. He would need somebody around him. This was not some glowing miracle child that was born walking and talking, but a baby who needed cared for, provided for, taught to read, write, how to live, how to be a man. And God chose Joseph to do that because he was a righteous man. See, I I think that Matthew here, he's making these claims about who Jesus is in these opening chapters. And he shows us that he's the king, that he's the Messiah. But then all of a sudden, he draws us back in and he shows us, you know what? Jesus was a man. Was a man who needed a father. So that's what we see from Matthew. And then he makes this one last claim. He, He claims that Jesus came as the Son of God. As the Son of God. Now, keep in mind, he was fully man. He was a man who was born and needed to be taught how to be a man, but then he also is the Son of God. Verse 20, it says after it says that after deciding that he was going to put Mary away quietly, uh, it says, But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what was conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Okay, just think about this for a moment. Just think. Okay, just imagine for a minute. Joseph, Joseph goes to bed this night thinking, okay, tomorrow morning I got to get up and I got to start doing something I really don't want to do. I got to start going through the process of divorcing the woman that I'm betrothed to. And he goes to bed with that in his mind. When all of a sudden, bam, there's an angel. Ooh, some of you perked up. Good, I was wondering how that would go. There's an angel. There's an angel here in your your dream. And now I don't know about you all, but whenever I go to sleep and I have a dream, I don't usually know like, oh, hey, I'm dreaming. Oh, this is cool. I'm going to start doing all these crazy things because I know it's a dream. No, I don't know that. Usually whenever you dream, you don't know that you're dreaming. I know some weird people who know that they're dreaming. That's so weird, man. If you're that person, you're a strange individual. But most of us don't know that we're dreaming. And here he is dreaming, and there's an angel there in his dream. There's an angel. And not only that... But remember what he calls him here. This angel shows up and he says, Joseph, son of David. Wait a minute, you remember how important that, that title was just a moment ago? Oh boy, Joseph, Joseph, as a first century Jewish man, he hears son of David and he's going, wait a minute, what? Now, yeah, he might, he, I'm sure he knew his ancestry. Of course he did. But I doubt it was very often that he was called the son of David. And he hears son of David and all of a sudden this angel, who, who probably had his te- attention before, now he's really got his attention. And I always love this picture of the angels appearing because we, th- we think about angels and we think like, okay, now these are some of my favorite. There's some of these little angels on these wreaths up here and there are these naked baby angels floating around. They're all chubby and, chubby and cute and they've got like little harps and stuff. And that's what we think of when we think of these cute little angels that show up. Uh-uh, nope, uh, that's not scary. Y'all, I've never been scared by a chubby naked baby. Um, so, so, well, that's not true. Um, We're going to have to put like a graphic content thing, filter on today's sermon. I didn't even think about that till I said it. But uh, anyway, so I've never been like terrified. Let's go with that word. Never been terrified in that, those kinds of terms of a, of a baby like that, right? That's not what this is. This is an angel that shows up. This is not some cute little baby floating around on a cloud playing a harp. This is an angel of the Lord that shows up. And we know that it's terrifying because the first thing he says is, Hey, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, Joseph was in a difficult spot, right? If there was somebody who had reason to be scared, somebody who had reason to be terrified, it's Joseph. Joseph thought he was about to get married. He thought he was coming up on one of the most exciting days of his life, his wedding day. And now he finds that his wife is pregnant. So he's thinking, okay, great. I've got to go through this legal proceeding to divorce my wife. And he's dreading this. We know because he doesn't even want to do it, at least not publicly, because he wants to save her from the shame. But here's Joseph thinking tomorrow morning i got to get up and i got to do this awful thing that I really don't want to do. And now all of a sudden there's this angelic being in, in your mind that you hear and that you see. If there's a person who has a reason to be scared, his name is Joseph. And you know what the angel says to him? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So now Joseph's sitting here looking at this poor chubby little naked baby playing his violin, and he realizes wait a minute, I'm about to be a surrogate father to the Son of God. I'm about to stand in and raise the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Messiah. I, I'm responsible for that? And the angel says, do not be afraid. Um, I don't, I don't always do the best job of being a feel-good preacher, so I'm going to do that just a little bit today. Um, I think a lot of times we hear things from God. We, we see that God has called us to do something that we don't think we're capable of doing. Joseph was not capable of doing what he was being told to do here. Uh, who is? Joseph's being told to raise the Son of God. How many of y'all think you could do that? Y'all, I'm not equipped for that. I'm not equipped to raise my own kids. Somebody laughed. That's insulting. But anyway, I probably deserved it. I'm not, I mean, really. And here Joseph is being told you're going to raise God's son. God's son. God's child. The one who's going to come and save these people from their sins. Not just save them from political oppression. Save them from sin. Y'all, who's equipped for that? And it's into this that God sends his messenger to say, Do not be afraid. Y'all, the truth is that whenever God is for us, there's nothing that's going to be against us. That's not true. There's probably plenty that's going to be against us, but nothing worth counting. See, that's the point. Joseph here is being called to do something extraordinary, something extraordinary that he's not equipped to do. And God says, Do not be afraid. Why? Well, because he'll be Emmanuel. He says he'll be Emmanuel. You remember that prophecy from back back in Isaiah, where he says, you know, there's going to be a virgin who's going to give birth, and he'll be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. God is with us. Why should Joseph take heart here? Why should Joseph not be afraid? Because even if he's tasked with this impossible thing, God is with us. God is with him. See, what we learn is that Matthew is claiming that Jesus is the promised king, he's the promised Messiah, he's a man, but he's also the Son of God. And he's making these extraordinary claims here in the very first chapter of this book. So why do we, why do we celebrate Christmas? Why do we do all this? Is it just because there's a baby that was laid in a manger and we want to get together and think about snowflakes and the star and this pretty manger scene and all this stuff? No. 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 We can certainly do that, and we can sing songs like Oh Holy Night. By the way, that's one of my favorites. I absolutely love that song. I can't sing it worth a hoop because it's way out of of my range, but I love that song. Should we sing Silent Night and, you know, get the warm feels? Should we exchange gifts? Is that what Christmas is about? Well, no, not exactly. Those things are fine. And if they point us to Jesus, then great. But the fact of the matter is, the reason we have reason to celebrate, the reason we celebrate Christmas, and you all know this, but it's because God took on flesh. Our Messiah came to save us from our sins. Y'all, I'm just going to, uh, this isn't the way my notes in this, but I'm going to end it kind of like this. I just want us to point, uh, I just want to point us real quick to, to the cross. Because, you know, we look at the manger, we look at the star, we look at the stable in Bethlehem. And we look at all of that at Christmas time, and rightfully so. Because unless the baby was born in Bethlehem, we, he never goes to the cross in Calvary. So I, I get all that. Alright, so yeah, let's celebrate the coming of Jesus, but at the same time, let's not lose sight of why he came. Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the King, he had a mission to accomplish whenever he came. That King came to save us from our sins, and Joseph is told as much. The angel tells him, this child, this child that is growing in in your betrothed wife and in her womb, that child, he came to save his people from his sins from their sins. I'm sorry, not from his sins. That would make me a heretic. And please don't slap me. That's not what I meant. Yeah, you all want to be Santa Claus and you're going to come slap me. The point is, like, Jesus came to save us from our sins. And how did he do that? Well, he lived the life that you and I couldn't possibly live. And he died the death that we deserve. And then he was raised three days later to bring us freedom to bring us victory over sin and death and hell. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. It's not because it gives us these warm, fuzzy feelings. There's nothing wrong with the warm fuzzies. But that's why we celebrate Christmas, because our Savior, God, came to be with us, to make a way from us, to save us from our sins. And I'm so thankful that he came to bless the nations. Um, Y'all, that's all I've got. If you want to know who Jesus is, open the book and read it. But that's what Matthew is claiming about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much Um, that you sent your son, Um, that we can come together and we can celebrate Christmas, that we can celebrate the coming of Emmanuel, that we can celebrate the coming of our King, of our Messiah, of this man, of the Son of God. Lord, I'm so thankful that we can celebrate who you are, who your son is. Um, Father, but I pray that this Christmas season we would never lose sight of the fact that Jesus came with a mission to save us from our sins, and he accomplished that mission. So, Father, today we give you all the glory, all the praise, all the honor. Father, we thank you for Christmas time. We thank you that we can celebrate the coming of our Savior who freed us from sin, who made a way for us so that we don't even have to fear death. Lord, what an awesome gift you gave us, one that we could never possibly deserve. But that's the funny thing about the gift is that. We didn't have to deserve it because you gave it so freely and so willingly. So, Lord, today we praise you, we thank you, and I pray that you would help us to look at our Savior, that you would help us to look at Jesus and who he is this Christmas season, and that we would truly, truly just fall in love with our Savior. So, Father, I thank you right now for Jesus, and I pray that he would change everything about us, and I pray it in his name. Amen.